Welcome to Edgemont Bible Church in Fairview Heights, Illinois, where our mission is to glorify God by guiding people into a discipleship relationship with our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's listen in to today's message by our pastor, Douglas A. White. We're about to finish our study of the book of the Revelation. Uh, we have a few more things to look at after that because there's some things that we've touched on here that we'd like to have a little more time to get some details with. So we've got a few more details to go. The passage we were looking at was verse 7. So chapter 20, verse 7. Now when the thousand years have expired, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle whose number is as the sand of the sea. Now, this is at the end of the millennium. The millennium is the 1,000-year reign of Christ. Let's just do a little timeline on the platform here so that we can kind of see what it is we're talking about. So let's start back here. I'm going to make the, the timeline this time as the tribulation period, a seven-year period of judgment uh, on Israel and on the Gentiles. For the Gentiles' refusal to receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, for the Gentiles' Uh, picking on Israel for all those years, Israel is going to receive the gospel of Jesus Christ and believe it during that seven-year period of time. The Gentiles are going to, some of them are also going to be believing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Where will you be at that time? You're already gone. The church of Jesus Christ is already gone. You're, you're going through the judgment seat of Christ. While all of this is happening here on earth, you're going through the judgment seat of Christ. Everybody follow that? So while here on this tribulation period, the seven years of this tribulation period, Israel is getting started back with the gospel again. They've understood that Jesus is that Messiah, and there's persecution starting to break out against them. There are two prophets that are already ministering in Jerusalem, uh, the, the two witnesses that are, it's called, uh, the olive tree witnesses. We do not have their exact identity, but they're ministering here at that time. Antichrist is also on the move at that time, doing conquering around the world. He's starting to move toward Israel, and ultimately, over the period of time, he is going to make a conquest in Israel. At that conquest in Israel, here in the middle of the tribulation, he does something that the Scriptures call the abomination of desolation. He actually sets himself up in the temple, telling people that he really is God. That is an abomination of desolation, that this individual would be God. It's at that point there's a war in heaven, and the devil and his angels have been cast out, and the devil now takes over the life of this one known as Antichrist. With that taking place, now a heavier persecution than ever broke out before starts from the devil himself as he now chases down all who have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. Everybody who's believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, he's after them all. He tried to get Israel, but God saved Israel off to the side. Now, with that persecution breaking out, also in this period of time, the seven bowls of wrath are being poured out. Kids, this earth is horrible. It's devastated. It's bloody. It is full of disease. It's been pounded on by the, the, the sun, the moon, the stars. It's going through an awful lot. This place is a mess. Everybody follow that? Lots of people dying in all of this. 
to bring an end to this desolation, which the Scriptures say if God had not brought it to an end, even the elect wouldn't have been spared. To bring it to an end, Christ returns. And he fights there a battle with the Antichrist forces and all those, and he wins that battle. That battle is known as Armageddon. That battle is not Gog and Magog. That battle is Armageddon. More to speak about that in just a few moments. At the point that he returns, a new heavens and a new earth are made. And on that new heavens and new earth, everything was back here is being forgotten. It's being put aside. In this new heavens and new earth, the church is dwelling in new heavenly Jerusalem above the new heavens and the earth. And the, the earth here is having people who came from, who survived the tribulation. They're living on the earth, people of both Gentile and Jew. But I want you to know the millennium is really about Israel. Its focus is Israel. Why? Because way back over here in time, God promised to Israel they would have a land to live in, that it would be a highly productive place, and that they would have a king that would live over them, and that they would be the number one kingdom on earth. That was a promise he made. It never got to be fulfilled all through history. But you come to the millennium, and here is God fulfilling that which he said he would do. Israel is getting this beautiful, beautiful land, and there's a wonderful thing going on. Are there other nations there? Yes. The nations are all around Israel. But they know enough to know that Israel is the number one kingdom. This is the one they're under. They're all vassals of this one. Everybody follow that? So that's what they are. This is not about Gentiles. This is about Israel and God finishing his promise. That's why there's a millennium. Now, let's just take a look at your notes for today, uh, having, having got kind of that idea. The notes for today, uh, we're going to try to see a little bit about the optimum conditions that were in the kingdom. In those optimum conditions, we know this. The liar, the deceiver, and the accuser is gone. So I'm now I'm in the millennium now, okay? So we're back over here. This is the millennium. And I know that the, the external tempter, Satan, is gone from this. He's not there tempting anybody. None of his uh, archangels are with him tempting anybody. You don't have any externals. Does that sound like a good deal? The, the, the externals are gone. So everything that we might have used as an excuse for bad behavior before is gone. All right? Secondly, the land is at its peak for amazing production. There's nothing lacking for life's care. When the Lord speaks of this, it's in Ezekiel 36, 37, where he speaks of what he's going to do to the land. He says at that time, I'm going to put, bring the land back into a beautiful, beautiful relationship, and I'm going to bring rain on it at just the right time. It is going to produce so that those planting are catching up with the ones who are reaping, and the reapers are catching up with the, with the plants that are growing. It's going to be one continuous growing season so that there will always be abundant food for all the people and all the animals that are living in that world. 
And I know that the animal world is going to change. Uh, matter of fact, I'll wait about that because I think I've got that. No, I'm, I'm going to do it now. The animal kingdom is going to change. There are no more predators. Wolves won't be predators. Lions won't be predators. Bears won't be predators. All of that is gone. Anatom anatomical changes are taking place with them so that now what they were doing before with certain teeth made to tear flesh is not that. They are grazing. They are eating straw. Snakes are not a worry to anybody. Children can lead entire um, herds of cattle, according to uh, Isaiah 11. So you can write that down also, Isaiah 11. So read um, Ezekiel 36 and 37. Re read Isaiah 11. Also read Isaiah 65 and 66. Those are important chapters that deal with the beauty of this land at its peak for amazing production. The climate and weather could not be better. There, there are not storms anymore. There is nothing like that anymore. It's all great weather. Society as its very best. Their behavior is really good right now. Why? Because everybody knows the Lord. And everybody is living for the Lord. Lives have been changed, and that's the direction they're taking, all right? People are self-governing. People, if they can... Well, truthfully, why do we have laws? Because we don't govern ourselves. And I know that some of my friends don't like to hear that. They say, no, no, that's, you know, it's just the inner... No, we don't govern ourselves. Why is there a speed limit? Without raising your hand, how many would go as fast as you could if you had the opportunity? Yeah, don't raise your hands. It's gonna, you're going to be... Okay, let me write that name down. <laughs> All right. My, my point is simply this, guys. The, the reason you have law is because we won't do the right thing ourselves. Imagine a society you would that really is self-governing people. Listen, when the founding fathers were making this place, that was the people they envisioned, that there would be a people with the knowledge of Christ enough the knowledge of the law enough that they would govern themselves. And they therefore made a government that was made just for that kind of people. But they knew enough to know that if we ever lose sight of being self-governing, this constitution won't work. All it takes is for a people to stop governing themselves, and they'll start... Um, demanding everyone else, give me what I want. Imagine, if you would, a whole world of people who are self-governing, who are loving their neighbor as themselves, who are loving God fully and completely. There are very few laws because the law is written in the heart already. People already know what to do and what not to do. That's the conditions they're living with. The government is benevolent, but it's also intolerant of evil. The Lord Jesus is the governor, and it says that he will rule with a rod of iron, but that he also rules with righteousness in both the way he thinks of it and what he knows about your motive. He's always ruling in righteousness. So people being self-governing, they're going to be a little more cautious about what they do because they know he's intolerant of evil. 
You're not going to have such a case that goes on that a murder's committed here, and now you're three years into this before you actually get a court case, that, and then you're another six years before that. And finally, if you get to have a trial, then it'll be over. It is going to be like that. You don't have to have the trial period. For he knows your heart already. He knows what the action was. He knows what happened already. And sinners will die at whatever time they do that. That's why people use a lot more caution in their behavior. All right? But it's a benevolent place. This is a, he, matter of fact, he says of himself, I will answer prayer before you ask it. You, I, this is, I am going to work in such a way that I will answer prayer before you have to ask it. All right? He goes on, that, that God is dwelling with his people and prayer, and prayer is answered before it is asked. God is dwelling with his people. That's the big thing about the millennium, that God is ruling with the people and they know it and they are aware of it all the time. Is, is God omnipresent? Yeah, is, is he here with us now? Yes. Is there a place he is not? No, there is not a place he is not. But have you ever found this to be true? Sometimes you're more aware of it than others. You, you may say, oh, the Lord came at that point. No, he was always there. You just became aware of him being there. Ever follow around? Imagine the people who are self-governing who are always aware of the presence of the Lord. That, that will alter the fear of the Lord some. Because right now, we have the fear of the Lord, knowing that God is watching everything we say, do, or think without seeing Him and being aware of His presence. So that, that helps us. That's not the way it's going to be then. Everybody already knows the Lord. The Lord is present, and they know of His presence there then. All nations, not simply Israel, are operating at their best. They're all operating righteously and full of uh, good government. The natural world is at peace, living in its intended creator, created order. You can write to Isaiah 11 down there as it begins to talk about what's going on in the natural world. Letter J, though death is still a reality. Whoa, whoa, wait, you see, I, I thought we'd never die again. Where are you? The church is over the earth. Okay, we're not dying. There is no more death there. But here on earth, there is still death. The wages of sin is death. There's still sin that can happen on the earth. And when that sin takes place, it's death immediately. Everybody follow where I'm at? So that's, that's what's going on with that. Though death is a reality, and therefore sin is also present, provisions have been made for long, healthy, productive living. Remember what we looked at last week? That there's a river of life that's flowing. And within that river of life, there are trees on both sides of it. There are plants on both sides of that river. And it says that those trees are for the healing of the nations. So as there's anything that comes into it, all you have to do is make it to the river of life, get the tree, the fruit, the leaves, and you'll be well again. It's a way that God has of renewing our DNA and getting us back to good health again. Letter K, everyone knows the Lord. You're not going to have to tell people know the Lord. There's not going to be any evangelism during the uh, millennium. Everyone knows the Lord. Letter L, there's no remembrance of the prior world. Everything, all utopian dreams had ever imagined are present and real every day. So it's not like while you are in the millennium here, while you are having all these wonderful things happen, you keep, you keep looking back and thinking, boy, this is so much better than it was. You're not going to be thinking what it was. 
You're not going to have an opportunity to think back, what, what did I do back then? What was I thinking? What was I? No. There's no remembrance of the prior world. We're in a whole new world. Right. Further, conquest and ethnic pride are gone. Peace and rest are the standard of the day. There's no nation rising up to try to conquer another nation. There's no boundary conflicts, no border conflicts. We're not worried about that. Passing back and forth across nations is not going to be a problem because there's no ethnic pride that's involved with it. All right? Now, having said that, let's look at the incredible disruption, chaos, and disorder that God brings about. Numbers, verse 7 again. Now, when the thousand years have expired, so you have a thousand years going on just like that. When they have expired, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, whose number is as the sand of the sea. Folks, that is one of the most incredible verses. Here you've had all of this peace that we just described. Here you've had all of these wonderful things that we've just talked about. The optimum conditions. You couldn't have asked for better conditions, better weather, better food. Everything you ever wanted, every utopian dream is there. Yet the adversary is released from his prison, and he's able to go out and deceive the nations and raise up enough so that it says they were as the sand of the sea. That is simply incredible. Why would he do that? What's going on with that? Well, let, let me just, as I, as I thought my th- way through this, and I sought all kinds of help to find out what, what would be the purpose of this, I go back to uh, the book of Job. Now, here is Job, as far as we can see, behavior is everything. Uh, he's, he's doing the right things. His behavior's been good. Uh, he's even uh, an interceder, an intercessor for his children. He's offering sacrifices for his children. He's praying for his children. Th- this man's doing everything. And without his permission, without anyone asking him anything, without anyone doing it, Satan and the Lord have a discussion together about that man. And the things which follow bring disaster on that man's life, and he had nothing to say about it. He was not asked if this would be okay. He didn't determine it would be okay. He didn't know it was even happening until all, everything just fell apart for him. He lost all his family, all his possessions, everything. Matter of fact, he's even where his health is being compromised. He's ready to die. Matter of fact, he wants to die and can't. Why did that happen? Why do we have the book of Job? What is the point of that book? How does it end? It comes down to the final, uh, the episodes there, where Job is uh, restored with everything back again. And how did he come to that point? Well, those two chapters just before he comes to that point, those two chapters had said that the Lord met him and said to him, who do you think you are? Now, that may seem like a strange question to ask somebody that's in the middle of his sufferings. But he was in the middle of his sufferings, and he's been saying to God, come down here and tell me what this was about. Let me stand before you and ask, what did I do? What did I do that was so bad? 
Well, it winds up that he hadn't done anything that was so bad. The test was more about what really justifies a man before God and what doesn't. Can I say this? It's not your behavior that justifies you before God. Never has been, never will be. Your behavior follows what you trust. And that's always been the issue. How is a man justified before God? How does a man live before God? It's through his faith, not through his behavior. I want you to consider with me the people that were on that planet, the people that are on that new earth, every one of them had had behavior that was exemplary. Their behavior was good behavior. How do I know that? They're still alive. The wages of sin is death. Had they been engaged in sin, they would have been dead already. But they weren't. They were alive. So their behavior had conformed to what the rules said to do. But they did have another problem. Have you ever, as a student in school, obeyed the laws that were given to you with just that, that slight hint of rebellion that said, I'm going to do this, but I hate you for every minute I'm doing this. Have you ever done your parents that way? Where you knew there were rules you didn't want to follow, you didn't like to follow, but you did them anyway? And if your parents could look at your behavior, they say, well, she's compliant. He's compliant. He gets along. He does what we say to do. But there seems to be one little thing lacking. What is that? Friends, we have a whole body of people here who, in, in this book, <laughs> better make sure I get that correct. This whole body of people here in this book that had complied but didn't believe. How is it that God could sort that out? How is it that God could sort all those things out? They had complied. They had done what the rules said, and they had lived in optimum conditions. What would ever cross your mind to let some rascal come around and say, you know, He's only, he's only treating you this way. You're really his servants and really his slaves. You're not equal to him. Did you know you could be equal to him? You could be in control of all of this yourself. You could do this. You don't have to have him. Wouldn't it be good if you could take charge of all this and do it the way you wanted to? What words do you have to use to a people who are on the border of belief? Let me just, this, this same adversary tried to tempt Jesus. His temptation to Jesus was, you don't have to do all that dying stuff. You don't have to go through that cross. Ask me. Just fall down right here, worship me. I will give you all these nations. If this all this, you're going to inherit it anyway, why go through the death thing? I'll give it to you now. Just do this one little thing. How hard? You're hungry, aren't you? You're thirsty, aren't you? You're about ready to die, aren't you? 
What's it going to mean to you just to bow down a little bit and worship me? I'll give you those nations. And the Lord Jesus God, Christ says, you'll only worship God. He passed that temptation. You follow where we're at? Friends, there are people in that millennium period that are not going to pass the temptation. They're not going to pass the test. That's why he's released. That's why he's turned loose to see, can you deceive these people? How will I know they believe me and they trust me? Oh, I, I know they're conforming. I know they're doing what they're supposed to do. But do they trust me? Because it's not their conforming to what I've asked. It is their trust in me. It's the difference between a friend and a boss. You understand where I'm coming from? He's been released to test them in that way. How did he do it? He starts with an egalitarian fallacy. What do I mean by an egalitarian fallacy? That means you could be equal. That's a foolish thing to think that any created thing could be equal to the creator that created it. That can't happen, kids. It's not a possibility. So he's already offering to them something that is not a possibility. There was the desire for the power to control supremely, not just control. You're obviously, if you're making decisions every day based on the Word of God that's in your heart, based on the power of the Holy Spirit that's in you, if you're making those decisions every day, you already are in control. But the very thought that you could be in control without that to do what you wanted to do now, not just what Jesus wants done, but you could do what you wanted to do, that becomes a temptation, a testing, if you would. And the third thing do you appreciate being served and worshiped? Do you like someone to take care of you? By offering those three type of things, same way he did Eve and Adam in the garden. Do you follow that? This is not different, kids. God has withheld things from me because he knows in the day you do it, you'll be equal to him. That's the same temptation, and that's how he deceives the nations at the end of this whole thing. So follow where I'm at. I want to go over this one more time. You had the tribulation that takes place. The tribulation is ended by Armageddon. Then you have this beautiful millennium that takes place, and what ends the millennium is this mess of the deception of the nations. Follow that? Now, let's go a little further with this because I want you to see some other things that are involved. He's able to foment a worldwide rebellion against the Son of God, naming it Gog and Magog. Now, I want you to look with me. See if you see what's missing in this passage. Verse 7. Now, when the thousand years have expired, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, whose number is as the sand of the sea. They went up on the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints in the beloved city. And fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. The devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are. They will be tormented day and night forever. Now, I found something missing, something I had taken for granted. And here's the missing thing. Where's the Son of God in this? There's not the mention of the Son of God. What did he come up against? The camp of the saints and the beloved city. They're not fighting against God. They're not fighting, I should say, they're not fighting against the Son of God. 
What ends the tribulation? Armageddon. What's Armageddon? The nations fighting against the Son of God. This one is not about fighting against the Son of God. It's about the attempt to take over Jerusalem. It's the attempt to take over the saints, get rid of all of them, and have your own brand new Tower of Babel already built, already done. You follow this? Why is that important? Well, we'll see in just a minute. It says, then, there was an innumerable mass that surrounds the camp of the saints and the beloved city on earth. Fire from God out of heaven devours the entire rebellious rabble. Now, it's not Jesus coming down and destroying him with the tongue of his word. Nope. It's fire coming down. And I want you to get this picture. This fire devoured them. There is nobody left. They have all been disintegrated, devoured, eaten up, gone. Why is that significant? Because in two battles which Gog and Magog are mentioned in, each of them have mentioned that birds will be called to eat the bodies. No birds are called at this one. Why? There's nothing to eat. It's all over. These bodies that have been lost, the spirits that were in those bodies have gone on straight to Hades. Not a stopping. And we have a great white throne judgment that's going to take place right after this battle. So after this battle that ends the millennium, next comes the great white throne judgment, and it's finished. We'll go and look a little bit more. Fire from God out of heaven devours the entire rebellious rabble. This is followed straightway by the great white throne judgment and the end of time. Everything's coming to a close right there. Christ then delivers his kingdom to the Father for whatever follows as the eternal state. Look at 1 Corinthians 15 with me for a moment. 1 Corinthians 15. Here's, here's something that we want to always keep in mind because we are uh, a, a Bible people, is that the Bible is a single book. It's written by a number of authors over a large period of time, but it tells one story. Now, there are many angles to that one story, so you've got a lot of things that's involved with it, but it's still one story. So what we're reading in 1 Corinthians 15, and we're going to be um, back at verse 20. I've got 24 to 28, but let's, let's read back at verse 20. But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who've fallen asleep. So Christ is number one. Here's what it says. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive, but each one in his own order. So get the picture. There is an order to these resurrections. They don't just happen as a big group thing all of us. There's an order to them. As it says here, um, Christ the first fruits. So the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ on that resurrection Sunday years ago, 2,000 something years ago, that's the first fruits. That's the very first one. That's the, that's the thing you would offer and in praise to God. Here are the first fruits of my, my field. These are the first things that came ripe. So I'm offering these in my field. So Christ the first fruits. 
Afterward, those that are Christ at his coming. So that's, that's you and I. We're going to be there. Then comes the end. When he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, when he puts an end to all rule, all authority, and power, for he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be destroyed is death, for he has put all things under his feet. Well, stop just a minute. I want to go to this. So here's the deal. Christ has the millennial kingdom, and he's ruling and reigning that millennial kingdom. At the end of the millennial kingdom, it's ended by that great battle we're just going to read about. From that great battle comes the great white throne judgment. At the great white throne judgment, every resurrection, every possibility has been finished. There's nothing else. There is nothing else to go. And Christ is delivering that kingdom to his Father. I want you to think with me. It was the Father that created all things through Jesus Christ. They were through Jesus Christ, and they were for Jesus Christ. He declared that his Son, Jesus Christ, was going to inherit all things. So he did inherit all things. Here at the end of the tribulation, he has the inheritance. And God gave him a kingdom that he had promised to not only his son, but to Israel. And Israel gets that kingdom. He promised to bless all the nations through Abraham. He's done that. Now that's finished. All that's left is raising those who have sinned against God by unbelief. They're raised from the dead, according to the great white throne judgment. They are all judged, and it's finished. All who were judged at that go to hell with the devil, the beast, and the prophet, and will be tormented day and night. Now, just as a little aside, day and night is a term for all the time. Because uh, they're obviously in the millennium, there isn't day and night. In hell, there's not day and night. But that is a phrase which simply means all the time. There's never a rest time. You're not stopping to, to, to torment any time. Once this great white throne is judgment, uh, judgment is done and all the things are finished, Christ delivers that kingdom up to the Father. It's done. Everything that was going to be done is done. I don't know what happens there. Why? Because there's not a description of it any place. This thing was about heaven and earth. It's about people having real bodies living on that heaven and earth. And the end of the story is the millennium. That's the end of the whole story. There's not another story to go on. So there was no reason for him to tell us in the Word of God, what does the eternal state look like after Jesus delivers the kingdom? So if, if people ask me, what's, what's heaven going to be like? I don't know. I know I'm going to be with him. And I know there won't be anything impure with it whatsoever. Everybody, everybody see where we're at? All right. A couple of things I want to bring up. This last battle is not Armageddon. Armageddon ends the tribulation, not the millennium. Armageddon is not fulfilling Ezekiel 38 and 39. Now, I know we have not brought up a great deal about Ezekiel 38 and 39, but I just want you to simply know this. Armageddon and Ezekiel 38 and 39 are not the same thing. And the reason, I think, is quite simple. Armageddon 
is the gathering of people from all over the world. Ezekiel 38 and 39 is the gathering of people from the north. And they're gathering the people from the north and from the south in Africa and the north in Africa and from uh, Iran, Persia, and that, that general area. It's not the whole world. Because that, that takes place at another time. I'll get to that in just a minute. As I've written down here, Armageddon is not fulfilling Ezekiel 38, 39. The antagonists are not the same. The participants with the antagonists are not the same. The location of the battle is not the same. The manner of death is not the same. The birds devouring flesh is the same, though. All right? And this time-ending battle is not fulfilling Ezekiel 38 and 39. Once again, as you were reading uh, Revelation chapter 20, you saw that he used the word Gog and Magog. The only place Gog and Magog are used together is back in Ezekiel 38 and 39. That, this, this time-ending battle is not the same as that battle. Why? Well, here's one of the things. One of the things it says that after this battle in Ezekiel 38 and 39 take place, Israel is burying people for seven more years. Not at the end of the millennium, they're not. You're not burying anybody. There wasn't anybody left to bury, remember? They were all devoured by a fire. They're gone. So Ezekiel 38 and 39 is not this battle, even though Gog and Magog are used in it. That's just one of the things. It, again, the people who are at this last millennial battle are gathered from all over the world, from the four corners. That's not what's taking place in Ezekiel 38 and 39. You say, why is that so important? Because the players in Ezekiel 38 and 39 are on stage now. Not in the millennium, not the tribulation. They're on stage now. And that would be one reason why it would be good to pay attention to what's going on in Ukraine. That's why it's a good reason to pay attention to what's going on in Turkey and in all the Eastern countries, the Eastern uh, European countries, that is going to be a major stage in days to come. Again, we get a chance to talk about that a little more in depth again at another time. But for right now, I just wanted to share, Armageddon is not Ezekiel 38, 39. And the, the last battle in the millennium is not Ezekiel 38 and 39. That's another situation we get to look at, all right? Here's what I'd say. Brothers and sisters, friends, whoever you are, the gospel is quite simple. There is a judgment coming, and we're reading about that judgment. We've been studying about that judgment for quite some time. Right now, today, the Lord Jesus Christ is calling people to reconciliation to Him. Right now, today, He's offering you peace terms that you will not have to go through that judgment. He's offering you the opportunity right now to flee from the wrath which is to come and come to the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the one who created this whole thing. He's the one who's inheriting the whole thing. He is King of kings and Lord of lords. And today, the owner of this is telling you, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, I'll give you rest. A, admit that you're a sinner. Admit that you have a need for a Savior. B, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. C, confess him before people. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. 
Father, thank you so much that Jesus Christ is Lord. And thank you so much for the truth of the gospel. Thank you for the things that you are doing in us right now. I pray, Father, no one will be in this room, no one within the hearing of my voice or the voices of those who sing or pray. Father, I ask in Jesus' name that people may see who Jesus Christ is, that your spirit will convict, that your spirit will bring people to a new understanding of, of who they are and who Christ is. Save souls, Father, and know you're a compassionate and awesome God. And I ask in Jesus' name, you'll make that compassion uh, real in the lives of people here today. In Jesus' precious name, amen. We hope God has encouraged you with today's message by Pastor White. Thank you for joining us at the Edgemont Bible Church. We'd love to have you visit us if you're ever in the area. For directions, more information, or to support the ministry of Edgemont Bible Church, please go to our website at edgemontbiblechurch.org. That's edgemontbiblechurch, all one word, dot org. You can also follow us on Facebook at Edgemont Bible Church, where the Sunday morning message is broadcast live.